You know what I could do actually is I could kind of go along with like the beat and go like bike91.com. Uh, bike91191. Yeah, then, it, then it sounds like one of those stupid infomercial things. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Alex, I get you. He's above that. No, he's not going to love that. Hi, everybody. No, Welcome to the Great he, Drive he's, ab- he's above that. Oh, he's above that. Yeah. Yeah, he's definitely above that. Yeah. So it's the Greg's Garage Pod with co host Jason Pridmore, presented by bike911.com. And I'm Greg. And if you need some legal advice, go to bike911.com. Now, let me welcome in my boy. I've known him for going on four years now, mm-hmm. a little bit longer. What? Ladies hey. and gentlemen, fresh off the golf course, please welcome Jason Pridmore. Hey, JP. Actually, hey, it's cold here today for us. Hold on, hold so, on. What? Yeah, okay. For us, what, what does cold mean for you? Is it in the low 60s? Yeah, it's kind of in the low 60s and overcast and sprinkling. You know, it sucks. Oh, oh wow. Time to move from California. Hey, what do you got going on behind you? It looks like a nightclub in that place you got going there. Yeah, I got a little, they call that RGB. So it's, 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 you know, I I have another camera that I use when I'm, when I'm live streaming my Call of Duty on Twitch. So I've, you know, I have like some, some stuff off in the background. It's nice. That's the, that's the American flag. Fingers are staying, fingers are staying fit, huh? Oh yeah, dude. I'm my my thumb is shredded. Yeah, it's great. My thumb has abs. Does it? Your thumb's got abs. <laughs> That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Hey, Actually, by the way, in this yeah. week's podcast, we're gonna have a Rye News MotoGP, the penultimate or no, it's the penultimate round is done and dusted. We're gonna talk about that. Yeah. And there's plenty to talk about there. We're also gonna talk to Josh Heron because he had a big announcement today, Thursday. It's it's something big. World Superbike MotoGP previews for the weekend. Jason's gonna fill us in on exactly what's going to happen, especially, you know, if you, I mean, you turboed Quart, right? In, in fantasy last of week. Of course is that, I did. Hey, yeah, of course. If, you did. If, if you need, if you need a cooler, just call me. Cause if there's like guys <laughs> that you have that you need to catch in fantasy, like great, tell me the guys in front of you that you need to catch. I will jump on a couple of their riders for you. <laughs> and it's just bound to go pear shaped. I'm the, I am the only one in the top 10. Who's got a, who's got a turbo left. And your boy, Chuck Axlin, by the way, is yeah. Point five of a point. He's half a point away from me in eleventh in our pool, wow. and he's out of turbos. So you know, I mean, I already told him. I mean, it's going to turbo Pecco. I mean, Peck. But anyway, we'll talk more about that later. If you want to support the channel, go to Patreon.com/slash Greg's Garage TV. Tell you more about what's coming up later on in the podcast on that exclusive content, and um, that'll be. By the way, there's a link in the description of the podcast. And if you want to see some uh, video content that I'm doing. Greg's Garage TV. I have some Greg's Ride of the Races stuff coming out. I'm going to do a little bit of stuff on the um, on the Royal Enfield that I have. I did some mods today. Big mods, Jay. Got a wrench in my hand. Did some stuff. It was... I literally can't talk to you about this. <laughs> I know you can't. I can't. Like, why do you Why do you ride a street bike? I don't know. I anyway, about it. So how was How was your weekend? Or how was your week? Like, where week did you get good. to watch MotoGP from and all that stuff? It was great. Week was good. I went down to Cowie, picked up some new bikes. So I'm oh. on that. Gave him my old ones, picked up some new ones, and then uh, some from, freshies. Huh? From there, I went down to. Uh, you ever been to Paris? Ever been to Paris, California? Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah this the. This, I guess it's uh Well, when I was there, it was like a supermoto. It was kind of half dirt, yeah. half asphalt, or yeah. actually more dirt than asphalt. They call it State Fair Motocross now, but it was the old Star West back in the day. I went Star down West. There a couple yeah, of times. that was it. I went yeah. down there a couple times, way way long ago, to just you know training days on motocross bikes. Um. But I went down there and watched Nate's kids race. So I had a blast on Friday. The mini majors is like the, a big West coast 
mini race. Greg, they had 968 entries or something like that for over three. It's wow. a three day deal. So all, all your motos count. So like, you know, his kids, well, his eldest Jack had three motos a day and they all counted towards each day. Right. So three mm -hmm. different classes, one moto, each class. Uh, it was so fun. And then, um, Sunday they actually live streamed it. So I watched it. Um, you know, I got to watch it all day. I spent Sunday, Craig, I felt like you, I was on a couch all day. I didn't move. I'm like, <laughs> I'm staying home Sunday. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not doing anything. I'm hanging with mom. You. And that's what I did. How dare so I, you? I got a day in the life of G-Dub. That's, that's, you should see my porch, dude. I, I, I completely gutted the porch, took everything off the porch, got out the hose, got out, uh, a scrub brush and scrub my entire porch down. Cute. I'm well. sure. I'm sure our listeners are really concerned about our Sunday. So, but I did. <laughs> I did watch. Of course, I sat and watched MotoGP. I watched Moto Two, Moto Three. Watched all the stuff. I watched all the interviews after. I watched. I mean, in the uh, not just all the interviews, but I watched. You know, that evening, watched all the uh, stuff that came out of that day. Really interesting day. Yeah, very um, interesting. And so. Watched all that stuff. Watched some football. It was just nice being home. I'm never, like, never really get that option. And I was sitting there on the couch on Sunday morning, and I'm like, what am I going to do today? I'm going to go play golf with my friend. I'm going to do it. And I'm like, you know, I'm not doing anything. I'm going to chill. Cool. Hang, hang with mom a little bit. That's what we did. So, mm. yeah, it's, it's good. Well, that's good. Yeah. Um, so, I guess with that boring crap you just said, it's time for some news presented by Arise. Let's do it. What I probably should do right now is break out the read. But instead, what I'm going to do is tell you, look, people, Christmas is right around the corner. I put an eye on my head. I rode 15,000 miles with the thing around the country. Do yourself a favor. Go check out Arai helmets. They fit amazing. They have really great features. Like, you can wash the liners and vents and all kinds of stuff. And by the way, no matter what price point you pick, they're still handmade, and they're made exactly the same way with the same shell construction, everything. The higher up you get in price, the more you're adding features like air vents and things and paint jobs. So go to AriAmericas.com. Go check them out. Christmas is around the corner. Ask your loved one for a helmet. The person who wins our MotoGP <laughs> uh, fantasy is going to win themselves an Arai helmet. They make moto helmets, road helmets. And then that XD4 that I rode all the way across country, which is like a mixture of like an ADV helmet. So anyway. Real quickly, is is any part of that in your plans for next year? No, not right now. It can't be. No, I Good. think I had enough of doing that. Oh. <laughs> I did. I had enough of doing that. It so. aged me five years just watching you do it. I mean, I might ride to some local stuff. You know what I mean? Like I, like like Atlanta. I might ride to VIR, Atlanta. Yeah, things, you know, some of the close ones, but... Going 21 days, flying home for five, and then go being gone for another 18, that was a bit much for me. I think... Uh, you think? Anyway, anyway, whatever. Speaking of next year, Jason. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. First item on our news topic has to be Mark Marquez because he's still not right. He will not participate in this weekend's MotoGP final at Valencia, and he will not participate in the very important direction setting Monday, Tuesday test. I think it's a Monday, Tuesday test at Valencia afterwards. Jay, double vision after a head injury, something he dealt with in 2011. I mean, that stuff can come and go, but double vision can be pretty serious. What do, do you think? remember the crash he had that, that it, caused that? With I the do, Moto2 I crash, don't. it was insane. Yeah, I remember it. And I'm going to say it was Malaysia. I could be wrong on that. I, I, I could be wrong. But 
uh, if my memory serves me correct, it was Malaysia or somewhere like that. Um, it was a really strange accident too. It's either he ran, I think he ran into the back of somebody that was slowing down in front of him and hit his head. The, the sad part about this, Greg, is that it's that reoccurring. If it's the same kind of, if it's the same kind of thing that he had then where, uh, you know, he hit his head, he had that double vision because he had to set, sit out a couple of Grand Prix, if I remember that right, mm-hmm. uh, three or four, man, is it 2011 already? It's 10 years. I think that the big question a lot of people will start to ask is, is it, you don't want to, I mean, the guys are obviously, what does he want? Three Grand Prix this year? Mm-hmm. Like, and they're saying he's three quarters of what he could be as far as physical and all that. Um, if that, so, but is this, you know, you don't want to say, is it the demise? You don't want, there's not a demise there, but are we starting to slowly see the human side of, of Mark Marquez where it's like his body's been taking a beating. He's been taking a bit of a toll. He's won a bunch of championships what's his motivation right now other than to try to come out and keep beating these young kids uh, like he wants to. And there's just a lot of, there'd be a lot of reasons for him to exit. And I'm not saying that he is, but I'm saying that there's a lot of reasons for him to, if he chose to. Um, but yeah, it's not good that he, that he's sitting out two races and a test. It's just, it's, it gives you kind Dude, of a when, bad feeling. I feel well, bad when, for the guy. When's what's the last year where he was able to do the test 2018. Maybe because I'm pretty sure in 19 and 20, he was not healthy enough to do the Off-season test. Off-season surgeries and stuff, huh? Yeah. Yeah. You know, Greg, yeah, you I know what I mean? I, and I, I, I should remember that stuff a little better. I don't, but I agree with you. And, and you just go, man, you know, this, this, the problem is the double vision thing's pretty gnarly. Like you can learn to ride around physical aspects of your body not being perfect. Like you can literally. You can literally figure that out. If you've still got the motivation, you'll figure out a way to will it in and, and, and work on it and get it to where you can do it. But man, if your brain or your eyesight or any of that kind of stuff starts to be really compromised, man, it's, it's a toll then. And it's scary. And and I don't know, I don't know the statistics behind it, Jay, but I have to imagine because this often happens with brain injury that it's like when you do one and then you do another one that it, it, it can be longer or, yep. or even worse. And that's the, my big thing is concerning with Mark is that he has had this problem in 11 and with a brain injury, you can't just say, well, it's been 10 years, so it shouldn't be a problem. It's like, Oh man, that's the second one that's doing that, that, yeah. that we know of, you know, that. Well, the fact that they bring up the 2011 injury is scary yeah. in and of itself. It's not yeah, like, it, you know, that's the thing that scares me um, is it's like, well, it's, it's obviously something that's lingering that if he hits his head hard enough, I mean, are we talking, is he one concussion away from being done racing, riding? Like what, when is it that you draw the line? Cause when you start hitting your head, that's when you really got to start to go, hold on a second. So if we're talking about an injury from 2011, that's reoccurred because he stumped his head again, that's it's. And also you have to think about Honda's investment at that stage, because if they're going to invest in him the way they have, He's given them every possible thing that he could possibly give them, you know, eight times over or whatever it is. Uh, what is he? Six times MotoGP? Yeah. And for Honda. Yeah. So you think about that. It's like you kind of think to yourself and with Repsol, he's been with Repsol all those years. But there does come a point where you go, all right, this guy's given us everything he can. Now he's got some head injuries. We don't want to make it. We don't want to see that get worse for him. Um, you know. I can't ever imagine him riding somewhere else or going and doing something else. But the scary part is if you're on a motorcycle, you know, you're going to fall. And if thumping your head is something that's already showing you some slight, 
issues at what is he 20 what is he great 28 he's born in 1993 so and he's born in feb uh february so yeah 28 20 years old mm-hmm. so i mean like the kid's got the rest of his life in front of him and you don't want to you don't want to see these these that's my concern right there right you know what yep I mean? yeah that that's it that's the you know the short term what what else do you have to gain and that's where i think someone starts to contemplate retirement you yeah, know but the, you pro- at- the prop the problem yeah. with Mark is, is that he has so much more racing in him. If, if, right? yeah, and yeah, and and like skeletal injuries, broken bones, that kind of things. You know, you look at somebody like Dewin, and his legs were so jacked and so bad, and but you can figure out a way to work around that, and you have your surgeries and you get fixed. If your brain is still good, you're mentally strong, you feel good, then you kind of figure out a way to will that stuff along, right? Yeah. Um. You know, like you know, who comes to mind in all this for me was uh, Matt Waite because remember how good he was? Yeah, he had some really big injuries, and he had some really big injuries back in the day. And it really wasn't until, and I think his brother was it Gator Waite, his brother, um, two great guys. But the thing is, is that back in the day, you know, we had the same doctors, and the thing that I heard was when the injuries became more head traumas. That's when it was like, hey, now's a good time to stop this because mm-hmm. you can break bones, you can do that, but boy, you start scrambling your head or doing heavy damage to your brain. That's yeah, that's stuff that's really, really slow recovery and hard to recover from if you do. So that's the thing that you worry about with Marquez. You don't want to see him have to be forced to do that, but you'd much rather see him forced to do that and live the rest of his life enjoying things. Um, and it's really a shame that he did it however he did it. You know, nobody knows exactly how it happened it doesn't sound like but no oh, yeah no he, he was riding enduro training i know he was doing that but like like i don't yeah i don't know if he just tipped you know. over like at two miles an hour or whatever right. but he and was that was another out. debate people were just like how the heck can riders and it's like dude that debate to you and i is so done and dusted it's done buried it's never been a debate you get you have to ride to ride i mean that's just the way it is it's a risky <sighs> life that racers live and sometimes things happen i mean you and i could dive back into the well of well, Jamie Hacking broke both, well, broke both can, his elbows. You like, can, you know what I mean? Like, there's, whatever. There's every, just about every top guy you were going to know has gotten nicked on a motorcycle, on a motocross bike at some point. Yeah. It just is. It, it's, it just happens. It is the way it is. And, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, I was out there this weekend and I'm like, man, I miss riding moto because my ankle's so much <laughs> better now. I think I could. So yeah. I'm like, oh man, it'd be fun to ride moto. And I'm like, you know. I'm not. I'm not great at motocross by any stretch. I'm not even good. I wouldn't say. I. I but I enjoy. No, you're it good. A lot, you're you're you know? good. I yeah, enjoy but, it, but 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 it like like here's the thing though. This is what you go. So they have vet tracks out there, and you're like, well, yeah. All right, I can just go do tabletops and stuff. You yeah, know, and that's fine. And I was, but see, the ego side of moto never got to me. I I very much recognized where my, you know, where where <laughs> I was getting paid. I got. I broke my leg one time on a motocross bike very early in my career. That was the first bone I ever broke. And I never really got hurt on a motocross bike again after that ever. Um, mm. And it was because I just used my brain. I, I There was no ego involved with me on a motocross bike. But anyways, hopefully Mark Marquez will be okay. Yeah, hopefully. And we wish Mark the best on his recovery. And yeah, because I'm sure he's And, and hopefully, hopefully all the people, well, uh, hopefully all the people around him anyway, yes. or at least, or at least in his court, not thinking, especially like management or whatever. And I'm not condemned. I don't know anybody over there, but hopefully everybody's in the court. Now, Jay, switching to Moto America, Kayla, Kayla Yako, the 14-year-old who started Moto America this season, 
has moved from Team BartCon to Altus Motorsports for 2022. She'll still be racing the Kawasaki Ninja 400 in the Junior Cup class. Um, now, Jay, the thing with Kayla is she raced six rounds of nine this season and still ended up eighth in the championship and won solid second-place podium at Barber Motorsports Park, race number one. I mean, Altus is a championship-winning team. They have riders in super sports, stock thousand slash super bike. What do you think about Kayla's move to Altus? It's great. I mean, if it's good for her, obviously we don't know all the deals that the teams are doing with each other right now. So what do I think about it? I think it's great that she'll be back on the, on, I think she's back on the 400, right? So that's right. Familiar with the team obviously has a very winning pedigree. They've got last two stock thousand champions. And uh, I think that moving forward for her, it'll be a good thing. And you, if you remember at Barber, she was, competitive both days i mean mm-hmm. and you, like you said greg she finished eight there's zero reason why that girl cannot finish top three in the championship this next year and possibly get a win in there as well we know a few of the guys that are moving up so she's going to become an automatic title favorite for me in the sense that she's only going to get better she's already proven that she could put it on the podium if it's raining she's not scared she's amazing in the wet so there's a, just nothing but positives flowing there. I'd love to get yeah. her on here with us. We got to get her. We got to get her on the podcast with us at some point. All right, yeah, we'll reach out and get her on the podcast yeah. for sure. Um, for I've talked to Cameron Bobier. Bobier is going to be on the podcast here in the next couple of weeks. I should yep. have Jake Gagne for next week. We're yep. going to talk on Friday, so we're starting to move along. You know that that train as well to get you know some good people on here. Kayla. Uh, the other thing to note about Kayla too is that she had never seen almost all the tracks. And Correct. you know, it's it's one thing, Jason, to say, and you've said this many times. If you're a pro racer and you've been doing this a while, yep. a track is a track. It shouldn't be a home track advantage. I think when you're 14, going to new tracks is huge yep. and learning them because you're now building your knowledge base of all these corners, of all the angles of off camber, on camber, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I think this is a critical development phase for any 14 year old racer at this point. So the fact that she's got a lot of the tracks now, uh, you know, at least at least one trip, just like Bobier for you know Moto Two for next season, Correct. same kind of a situation where we've seen Cameron do a lot better, even on tracks he revisited this year. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think it's going to be great for her. Um, Moving on today, big news came out of the Warhorse HSBK Racing Ducati NYC team, which, by the way, that they just abbreviated NYC for New York because they were nice and wanted to use less, you know, numbers and digits. <laughs> yeah. But uh, their plans, and most notably, Josh Heron will be the Super Sport rider on the Ducati V2. Uh, for some, it comes as a shock, but Jay, what do you think about Josh Heron going to Super Sport on this brand new Ducati? Uh, I mean, I like it. I'm bummed that we lose a superbike rider, um, in Josh. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he had a tough year last year. There's a lot going on. It seemed like with him, um, you know, having a kid getting COVID. Um, I just, I feel like, I think that his expectations probably would have been higher than they were, uh, than his results showed. I should say he's got a ton of talent and he's going to be an automatic, uh, uh, one of the top favorite guys to win on this bike, depending on how good it is and how much testing they do. And, um, you know, super sports going to be very interesting next year of how the rules will get balanced out. So I'm super pumped to see this team get involved in another class. That's great for our series. So the Warhorse uh, HSBK guys um, getting involved in yet another class, I think is good. Um, and I think they've got a great rider. I think Josh is more than capable of competing for this championship. We just don't know who else is going to be out there and what bikes are going to be, you know, who's going to be on what yet. So we'll, we'll wait, but no matter what, Josh is going to be a guy that you would consider being a championship favorite right from the start. 
Well, I had a chance to talk to Josh Heron about this news, and I started with congratulations on a new challenge for 2022. Yeah, thanks a lot. I'm I'm uh I'm actually way more excited going into 2022 than I have been in a long time. Um, it uh I, I always enjoyed racing the 600 class, the Super Sport class, and we never got a championship in it. You know, it was a lot of years of second places. Um, so it's something that I'm, I'm not only excited about because I get a chance to, to get that championship again, but, but I'm, I'm really excited to be riding the Ducati V2 in that class. It's, it's, uh, you know, obviously rule changes that I don't know a ton about, but I do know that the V2 is eligible to race in that class. And from what I've been told, Ducati's very excited to try and get this championship. They're very eager to, to do well in it. And, uh, you know, so it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. I, I have a, stock v2 that ducati delivered um a little while ago and and i've been riding on it just on the street and and i'm actually you know i was surprised at how much fun i've been having on it i'm uh i'm, I'm surprised at how much power the thing's got and, and uh yeah just excited to race you know get on the race bike and, and see what that thing's like so um i think it's gonna be a, a really fun year the hsbk team you know all the ducati new york guys and everybody that's involved seems seems really awesome um and and i just want to you know, immerse myself in, in the Italian lifestyle, I guess, and, and, and try try to fit in with everybody. I, I heard I might have a Italian crew chief and, and a lot of Italian crew, so I'm going to need to learn some Italian, I think. Jason, comments? It's great. I mean, I mean, I mean I here, here, here's the thing, okay? Yeah. One of the things I know about Josh that we've really figured out, even in the years when he was like, make Josh Heron factory again, he really doesn't thrive in an environment that is restrictive, like being a factory rider, especially when you ride for a corporation like Yamaha. Mm -hmm. And so part of the impression that I got is that, you know, he just has the feeling of, you know, Hey, this is, this is different. These guys are asking different things from me. And as the press release, Jay, I mean, this, that press release came from Ducati. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's not like it came from local sources. I mean, it, it originated from Ducati. So, you know, having, you know, Ducati behind you, I think Mm -hmm. is, is also a really good thing. hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be a new challenge, isn't it? I mean, it didn't look like he was going to get a superbike seat. It's a new challenge, and what a great challenge to have. It's going to be something unique, and it's great that he's got a bike that he can at least ride around and get used to, and um, and I don't know when their first test or any of that stuff's going to be, but it's always fun as a rider when you kind of get a new a new challenge, a new direction, um, and then and then go forward. So, yeah, I just, it's there's no negatives for me on that side of things. I think it'll be good for him. Yeah, I mean, look what Tom Brady did with a simple change oh, to Tampa. <laughs> now, look, Josh is already, like you said, he already has his Ducati V2. So I asked him, Jake, along the same lines that you were thinking, when will he get to ride that street bike on the track or when will they get to test the race bike? I'll probably um, I'll probably ride this V2 that I have at a track day before I get on the race bike. Um, I don't know how much I can say about, about our race bikes that are being built right now, but I know they're going to be, you know, very good developed, you know, pretty much ready to go. Um, so I'm, I just need to get used to the way that these things feel. Um, I have never rode a Ducati on the track before, so I just need to get some laps, even if it is on this, on this stock one, just to feel how the engine is, feel how the single-sided swing arm is. I don't, I don't know if, you know, single-sided swing arm feels different than swing arms that I'm used to. Uh, so it's, it's going to be a lot of, a lot of changes for me. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I'll, I'll probably do a couple track days on, on the stock one before I get on the, the race bike. I think I think they're planning on doing some stuff in January. Uh, I think that's when we'll probably start. And, 
yeah, but but like I said, the thing's been a lot of fun to ride on the street. I I've luckily figured out how to turn the ABS off. Um, well, I, I've been told like I can be myself again and I can I can go and do some slides on the on the street. So I'm uh, I've been messing around with it and and just trying to to really my my goal for this bike is to really feel like I'm in charge. I don't want the bike. I don't want it to feel like the bike is in charge of me. I want to feel like I can do whatever I want to do with this motorcycle. So if I can master that with the stock one, I feel like I'll have no problem doing it with the race bike because the race bikes are usually as crazy as it sounds. They're a little bit easier to ride than, than the stock one. So if I can get this thing sliding around, which I already have been able to and been able to have a lot of fun on it. So um, as long as I can do that with the stock one, I think the race bike will feel, will feel pretty fun to me. Jason, 1999? Yeah. No, 1998. Was that the year that you went from an inline four-cylinder to the factory Ducati, which was a twin back then? It was. It's sad, sad that you know my history that much, but yeah. <laughs> well, I lived it, right? Um, so, uh, but, but what I'm saying is, is I know it's not apples to apples, but there is a difference. There's a little bit the, of a difference, yeah. In the way the bike feels like. I remember, you know, when I used to be in a position to test motorcycles, you know, uh-huh. different brands. There was no weight limit back then, right? Huh? huh? Anyway, like I was saying, it's <laughs> one of the things that always shocked <laughs> me about riding a V-twin was how quickly you get to the rev limiter. Like, yeah. How, how you know how little rpm there is it only takes a minute to get used to but it kind of harkens back to to you remember when we went to ride the ktms at mid ohio that one time yeah. and no one told us when you roll off the throttle when the track is super cold that the the, the back pressure might tuck the front and both yeah. i think both of us almost tucked the front in that first session we were in the thing so there is that, a there's a little bit of a difference the good thing i think he's gonna have is if there's if ducati course is involved obviously at all um, because we're starting to see some other guys get on these bikes as well. I think Randy Krumenacker has announced that he's going to be on a V2 in World Supersport next year. We know the Barney team and the official team, Aruba, are going to run V2s, um, this, this bike as well, in World Supersport. So there's been some development going on on these bikes, as we know, overseas already. So it's not like they're going to be like just taking a shot in the dark with a new bike and do everything. Mm-hmm. going to get involved. It's not. He's going to be on something really, really good. And being able to go to a track day and just ride – I mean, that's, that's going to give him enough of a platform. It's going to take him one day to kind of go, okay, I kind of figured this, this out a little bit. The other benefit that he's got in this motorcycle is, as far as getting used to the, the V-Twin, will be that he doesn't have the horsepower of a superbike. You know, this is going to be something that's going to be way more manageable. He'll feel like he can throw this thing around. Um, it'll get his confidence up pretty quickly right away. It won't be as probably as physical to ride as the bikes he's been riding the last few years in Superbike. So mm-hmm. there's, there's a lot of little benefits here that will play into his hands. I think that'll make it easier for him. The transition won't be that hard. He's, he's, yeah, exactly. he's a really good rider. So yes, yeah. it's not going to be that hard for him. All right. Now let's talk super sport. I, I wanted to know if he's excited to return to the middleweight class because he has some unfinished business that, and I, I just love racing, racing that class. Um, I don't know what it is. I think, you know the superbike is obviously awesome, and and I love I love racing that bike as well. But but it um there's something different about the 600, I guess maybe because you can I shouldn't say the 600 the middleweight bikes you know <laughs> yeah super sport machines it's it's uh you can you can really manhandle those things and and just feel like you're in control and um I guess I should be politically correct I shouldn't say manhandle that's that's not right but you know it, it, you just I feel like I can really ride the bike how I want to ride it. And 
and not be worried about the thing spitting me off if I give it too much throttle or, you know, it's, you just feel so confident on them and, and, uh, you know, they're, they're a little bit lighter and a little bit smaller so I can move around on the bike a little easier. And it just, uh, it makes it so much more enjoyable to ride in my opinion. And yeah, I just, it's, it's a dream, man. It's a dream come true to get to race this class again. Um, and, and I hope I can make everybody proud and, and, and we can all have fun together because it's, uh, we got everything, you know, set in front of us to have, to, to have a really great year and to, to really enjoy it. And, and, um, yeah, hopefully move on to do, you know, doing better and cooler things. This is the part of the podcast where we let everyone know Jason has no idea what Josh Heron has said. He doesn't pre-listen to these interviews. And when you were yakking right before it, I was like, great, Josh is getting ready to say almost the same thing you're saying. <laughs> yeah. About well, he bike. knows. I mean, like, he knows. And the thing is, is that, uh, you know, everybody, if, if he was coming from a, you know, if he was coming from a 600 and everybody said, oh, you're going to go jump on this Ducati Superbike, that would be a big jump. That would be a lot harder. That would be more difficult. Even if he spent time on this bike uh, and then rode the Ducati Superbike in the future, it would be a big jump. He'll, he'll, mm-hmm. There'll be a difference there. With horsepower comes a lot of different things and tricks and things that you have to learn. And, and But any of our listeners that listen to this, um, no matter what they're on, it doesn't matter if you're on a 600 right now, um, if you jumped off a middleweight bike and you went and jumped on a Ninja 400, you're going to have a lot more confidence, you know, because it's the horsepower is being taken away. It's going to be a less intimidating bike. It's going to be easier. Um, the hardest thing that he's going to have to get used to, which will take him again a weekend, if that, is just all the new guys that he's never raced against. He's going to have to learn trends. A lot of the guys that he's raced against now, he's got guys that he knows, people that he has raced against. He sees trends. Now he's going to have to go against like the Richie Escalantes if that's if he ends up in six, uh, uh, the super sport category again next <laughs> you year. You and Heron, dude. You and your 600 thing is so funny. Well, yeah, but it's just it's been that for so many years. Of um, course. I get it, yeah. So when you look at things, <clears throat> when you look at things overall, he's got he's just got a whole – there's just a lot of new things that he's going to have to get used to that will take him no time at all because he's experienced and he's seasoned. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about super sport and the competition because you mentioned it. So I wanted to know if he's uh, like, what are the people like, has he been paying attention to super sport and who are the people that he sees that he's going to be racing against next season? From what I know, Richie Escalante, Sam Lockoff, Rocco Landers um, will be the top guys. Kevin Almeida, you know, I, I'm assuming Richie and Rocco and Sam will be the, the guys that I really need to worry about. Um, but I don't know if there's anybody else coming in. I've heard some rumors about Posh maybe coming in. Um, I'm a, I'm wondering where Bobby's going to end up. Bobby Fong and Altus had <clears throat> they had reached out to me about you know asking if I had any plans for next year. So I know they're looking for somebody. So maybe Bobby will end up there. I'm not sure. I know PJ Jacobson's going to want to get back to racing. I don't know where he's going to end up. So it, it could be a pretty pretty good dogfight. I mean, I've raced against. I don't know what it's like to race against Richie. I've rode with him at a test. I'm friends with him. You know, I, I rode with him at a test at Buttonwill and I felt like I had him covered there, but he may say different. I don't know, but I'm <laughs> just, just thinking out loud. Um, obviously Rocco's going to be, going to be fast, but I'm going to, I'm just going to go on record and say that I'm going to throw it down the road before I let Rocco beat me next year. Um <laughs> That kid's bad. That kid's bad, but I'm, but I'm, I'm gonna go harder. <laughs> no, I, I'm excited. I'm excited to see 
you know, that, nothing against Rocco. He, he's super fast, talented kid. I'm, I'm just, I'm just, just messing around. But I'm, I am excited to see what it's like to ride against those guys because you know how it is. I mean, when you watch them, when you're on a different bike at different speeds, you don't know, you know, what it, what their capabilities are, right? I don't know. I haven't rode against those guys, and you know, to us, the bikes look a lot slower, so then it makes them look different. So you don't know until you're on track with them. I'm just saying again, Jason hasn't heard any of these interviews. Happens, <laughs> no, so. I haven't. I mean, I think that you probably would have asked him the same questions in the same sequence that I asked. Yeah, you know, had you probably. done the interview, but but yeah. I, but I, I, whenever you do these interviews, and it's good that I don't know what's coming, but it, yeah, you know, I put myself in their shoes of how they might answer things, and you know, I haven't raced in a while, but I still think that way in, in a lot of ways. I still think about where they're coming from, and there's still experiences that I can draw back on that I can relate to what Josh is going to be doing and what he's going through and all that. So. Um, you know, it's, but hold on, let's talk yeah. about the elephant in the room because we know Stoney listens and sometimes Rocco listens to this podcast. Uh-huh. So now Josh Aaron set the precedent, started, <laughs> you know, started trash talking Rocco. I love it because Rocco will not sit around and, and I mean, they're, they're friends and they have, course, yeah. you know, they have their quirky little friendship and stuff like that. But I, I think that Josh just started something that could be a lot of fun throughout the season. Oh yeah. No, it'll be good. I mean, There'll be a, they'll, I mean, all that stuff is, is fun for now. And, you know, yeah. when you're, when you're having that being said about you, you, no matter what you'll, you know, rock will feel that in his stomach and take a little bit of that and think, no, there's some seriousness behind it, you know, which fair play to him. That's what makes us all kind of tick. It's like, you know, it's the, it's the bulletin board material stuff sometimes yeah. for some people, some yeah. guys blow it off. Some guys use it as a uh, tinder to start the fire. So you know, the thing is, is that, is that, um, you know, Josh is having fun. And, and, and like you said, he's going to, he's got a whole nother list of guys. And when he puts it the way he just put it in the sense of all these guys that we really don't know what they're doing, like Bobby Fong and, you know, Altus lost Kevin, <clears throat> Kevin Almeida. So are they going to replace somebody on that 600 that, that Kevin had that last year? Is, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure Jarrett's going to be back in the Saini on that team. Mm-hmm. I would you know, think. Who's going to ride the stock thousand? I mean, there's a lot of little things right now that there's a lot of question marks. So we don't really know who's in the class yet. And uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that goes. But he's but but Josh Heron's right. I mean, if all of a sudden you have Fong back in the class, who's the 19 champ, you have BJ Jacobson who put on a really good fight in 19. If he ends up coming back, now all of a sudden you're just stacking this whole super sport class again. And so, you know, yeah. where the last couple seasons we've really had two and a half front runners. Yeah. Now all of a sudden it could really just change overnight and yeah. super sports exciting as it is. But if you add six people that can go out and more six plus that could go out and win, because I think Benjamin Smith is probably in a position to start taking a step, Great. you know, and there's some other riders out there that, that have the possibility to do so. Yep. Um, all of a sudden super sport man is hotter than the fire. Yeah, and I mean, like we talk about PJ, like I, I, I haven't really seen anything that tells me that PJ is coming back, even though I've, I've heard that he is, but I haven't, he hasn't really shared much. I mean, Bobby, nope. we don't know. I mean, there was, I saw Tony put something up today. Yeah. Where the heck's Tony Elias going? Is he going to, who knows? I mean, so there's I, a, I, I mean, there's a yeah, lot I, of things out there. I mean, Tony had been telling people that he's retired from racing. And then all of a sudden today he posted something as well. Like I'm going to announce my racing plans or something yeah, like that. It, yeah. So who knows? So, we just got to wait and see. Big thanks to to Josh, obviously, for being on with you and getting those questions, you know, answered. It's I'm excited for him. It's going to be fun. Um, I think Supersport category will be interesting next year. 
And it's going to be a, really, it's going to be a learning season for all of us because with the different manufacturers and bikes that are going to be allowed to be in that class throughout the world, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how all that stuff kind of shakes itself out, Greg. So looking forward to that. Um, I'm also looking forward to this weekend because it is the final round of Moto. It is. Well, yeah, but, but before we get to that, one thing I want to tell, I I want to tell everyone. Yeah. So, um, Josh Heron and I talked for, I think, somewhere around 26 minutes. The full length of that interview is available on our Patreon. So anybody who's a Patreon subscriber, you can go on and you'll be able to listen to that full interview with Josh Heron in its entirety. So if you want to go on and, and contribute to the Patreon page, you're going to get start getting more exclusive content like that. So thanks to Josh Heron yeah. for doing that interview. But the more, you know, the extended version and the conversation that we had will be available there. Yeah, perfect. Great. Uh, MotoGP this last weekend at one of my favorite places ever, Portimao. <laughs> um, You'd was, move there was, in a heartbeat. I would. Which, which, it to was get really, you out of Ventura is a place. It was really interesting. And, you know, when you sit when you sit there and you look at it, when you look at Friday's times, it just looked like, all right, Quattro's got no pressure on him. He's just going to go run away with it. I listened to other people, podcasts and things, and they're like, oh, is he just going to come walking in there and not care now? His pressure's off, so he's not going to ride as hard? No. He's going to always push. He's going to always ride. That's what these guys get paid to do. I mean, he's a world champion. Now, you know, as a world champion, I'm sure he feels like, okay, now I got to start backing this up and showing that it was deserving. And he comes out on Friday and just smoked everybody in both sessions. And then literally he said in some interviews that came back on Saturday, they made a small change. And it's almost like he just kind of lost his flow a little bit. And Greg, if there's anything that you can say about a weak spot or a weakness, um, I felt like it got erased at, I think it was Mazzano when he came from way back on the grid and worked his way through everybody and, and still, I think he finished third there, right? So the guy's capable of, of passing people at a track like that. At a track like Portimao, it seemed like the Yamaha really, really struggled at being able to go by people. And we saw him make a mistake and tip off and fall over. Um, but Quattararo, uh, I saw where he basically said this weekend coming into Valencia, the most important session for him is going to be qualifying. He's setting his bike up for qualifying so that he can make sure he doesn't start too far back. Um, and it's a pretty big indicator when you look at any of the other Yamahas that were even close. Well, great. There were none were there. I mean, Rossi ends up 13th, Dovi 14th, uh, Morbidelli 17th. Uh, they're 22 seconds behind. So um, Bagnaya just, he just looks too good right now. Bagnaya ends up winning the race by two and a half seconds over Juan Mir, who finally started on the front row alongside Bagnaya and Jack Miller. The front row uh, basically were all on the podium. Miller ends up 6.4 back under really big pressure from Marquez Alex there at the end. Alex Marquez before the race got red flagged. Zarco, fifth. Perfect, because I just dumped him off my fantasy. So why wouldn't he just show up and start riding better? That's great. Uh <laughs> Paul Espargaro seemed pretty happy. He's actually not doing too bad, making some end roads. He ends up nine seconds back, nine and a half seconds back. He barely gets across the line before uh, Martin. Uh, Jorge Martins ends up seventh. Rins, uh, again, eighth, coming from the back. Um, those guys all crossed the line together, did Espargaro, Martin, and Rins. Uh, Bastianini and Binder were next across the line in ninth and tenth. Really strange weekend for Binder. Um, just never seemed on pace. Nakagami crashes in qualifying, comes from dead last to finish 11th, basically complaining of uh, a lot of instability under braking for him. 
Marini, Rossi, Dovey, and Broddle are the guys who, uh, you know, ended up finishing out in the points with Vinales just getting beat to the line by, by Broddle, but telling everybody that everything is perfect. So, um, <laughs> a lot of interesting stories, Greg, the race I felt was somewhat pedestrian. There were some really good rides and weekends put in Bagnaya right now to me would be a hard guy to bet against going into 2022. I feel like he has taken the role of being the top rider at Ducati. He's comfortable with the pressure of that. Doesn't have any problem with it. Has a lot of self-belief in himself. Can can win anywhere. Um, and I think going into 2022, if whether, whether Marquez uh, is in the state that he's in as far as how he's been lately, Quattararo, I, I feel like Bagnaya is the guy right now to beat for 2022 as they finish off 2021. It's interesting to read what's going on. So Bagnaya says post-race, the reason he's able to do what he did. And by the way, I, I don't think that the MotoGP press made too much of a big deal out of the fact that Quadrara or that Peko Bagnaya was like four tenths of a second variance from basically lap three to, to the end of the race. Like his yeah. consistency was unreal. But Bagnaya is saying that the reason is, is because he's got great front end feel in Ducati. And the point's been made when Nikki rode for Ducati, when Valentino rode for Ducati, when all these people, it was the front end feel going into the corner that was junk. It was like the black hole. It was a void. You couldn't feel anything. And so Ducati and Gigi Delinia and all the engineering staff have really worked so yeah. hard at it. And yeah. Jack Miller was even... You know, was quoted as saying, look, man, this bike is not the bike I even rode two years ago. It's yep. better as an all-around package. But what the the upper management at Ducati is saying is that Peko, they still have a problem with initial turn-in. They still have a problem with, you know, little problems. There's never going to be a perfect motorcycle. I'll take the, way the horsepower that-, <laughs> that that bike has and deal with some little niggling problems as far as you know, tip in, turn in, braking, whatever it right. is that they have issues yeah. with. The bike. And, and, the, and the biggest yeah. thing, though, Jay, is they're saying that Peko is masking all those problems. Yeah. Just like Marquez masked all the problems that, you know, the the Honda had. And, and you know, one thing that was great coming out of there was the Casey Stoner story, that they sat down with Casey, I think it was Saturday, um, after, after, like, in between qualifying or in between, like, morning and afternoon sessions. And he did a good, I don't even know, Jay, 45-minute talk great. with – with the media. I don't know if you got to see it. No, or not. You told me to watch it. And I actually took the time and, and I, I watched it. I took the time that 45 minutes and you were hundred percent right. There was a lot of good things that so many that, good things and, and great points that he brought up about certain things and um, that we could talk about later, but, but yeah, it was good. And I think, I think that, you know, the bike, when you watch it, it's, I've thought that Ducati is probably the best bike overall for the last five years, and they've got nothing yeah. to show for it. And it's really crazy when you think that the last time they won a championship is 07. I know. It's insane know. when you think that. They've won a lot of races without winning championships. Amazing. But and I know Marquez just, is, you know, Marquez is who he is, and a lot of people went through that when Rossi was winning all his years and things. Um, but arguably, you got to think that that Ducati has been the best bike at some point in the last however many years. And, you know, Casey's point that I thought was really great talking about that real quick uh, when we sit there and we think that they haven't won a championship since 07. He really gave you a little bit of an insight on how he looked and approached his racing. And it was, he never blamed the motorcycle. Mm -hmm. He was the guy that like thought, 
I need to get as much out of this bike I can without the without like let's get the baseline. Let's get absolutely as much out of this as I can. He's like, if I was, you know, basically the, the way it sounded to me is if he's two or three seconds off the pace, he's putting that on himself. He's going to go find that time. And then once he gets down into that, that last second or that last half second that he needs, if they can make little finite changes to the bike, that's what he wants to do. But he put a lot of the emphasis on himself. And I, that was really refreshing for me to listen to. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. So it's so many great things to say. He talked at some point, I don't know if it was that interview or another interview that he did because everybody was up his ass all weekend long. Poor guy who's suffering from some type of energy sucking, you know, something amazing. or another. I yeah. mean, Talking you know, about going from his bed to the couch is being a thing that would take him two days to recover. Just going from his bedroom to the couch like that. And not too long ago. I mean, what you know what I mean? Like, like at the beginning of the really year, knowing what's wrong with him is that's a tough one. No, and it sounds so much like Epstein Barr, but obviously he's been tested for it, you know, like whatever. But it, it's just crazy that um, anyway he was talking about uh, when he was at Honda and the development at Honda and how everything was about breaking stability, getting in there, and that's the way Marquez rides. And now that Mark isn't as influential, they're starting to get away from that and trying to find more of a balanced motorcycle that actually gets through the corners and gets on the meat of the tire to drive out and all that kind of stuff. And you know, Ducati is noted as being the first, right? They're the first for arrow. They're the first yeah, for wings, I mean, all that, everything. Wings yeah. for the squatting device for Correct. like, they're the innovators that everybody else follows. And honestly, the Japanese need Ducati to push innovation because that's what everybody's doing on the Japanese side. They just follow what Ducati does. But I, I think it's time that Ducati, the money that they've spent, Pecco feels to me like he's a closer. And I think that yes. that's what Ducati has been missing since Casey Stoner. They didn't have, they had a closer in Rossi. They had a closer in Nikki Hayden. They didn't have the bike. Now what they've had is the bike without the closer. And I think that Pecco feels to me that he's the next world champion in the waiting. There's a lot of times where we would sit there on the weekends and we would talk about Dovi. And I, and I would say, you just don't see Mark Marquez coming through Q1 to get to Q2. You just don't mm -hmm. see Marquez finishing seventh or eighth on a weekend. It just doesn't happen. And for Dovi, that's what made him a non-closer for me. Is Dovi amazing? Of course he is. Um, I find myself chewing my own ear off going like, Do, I don't dislike Davizioso. But man, now you look at him on the bike he's on right now, on the Yamaha, and he's right back there. You've got to think that he sees that thing going by him in practice or, or qualifying, and he just sits there and goes, God, like, maybe I should have just taken that pay cut and stayed with those guys for another year or so, or whatever it was that that prevented him from being able to go on that bike, you know? Yeah. Um, so anyways, the thing is, is those two guys right now, and when you look at Miller, I feel like Miller is the guy that just has to start getting consistent results, stop throwing the thing down the road, finish top five, get some podiums, get his confidence going, because we know he can win as well. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with that. Ducati's doing great, but I think the standout for me with the weekend, 100%, hands down, is Joan Mir. And Joan Mir had said, you know, somewhere along the course of the weekend that he put too much pressure on himself to defend his title. Kind of what you're saying about Quadraro a little while ago. It's like, I'm the world champ. I need to prove to everybody. And he put too much pressure on himself. And now that, you know, the number one plate is gone, he goes out and puts it on the front row for his first time ever in his MotoGP <clears throat> career, which to me was a little bit shocking. And he was so pissed because he thought he had pole pace and it didn't work out that way because some other riders and, and I, I still enjoy the passion. I think Joanne Mir is still, a, I love a, him. 
a really great guy. I'm a huge fan in terms of the way he conducts himself uh, off the off the track and stuff. And I mean, the things that he said in the podium about the 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 police, the police. I think it was a captain who who got killed in a crash with a journalist and all that kind of stuff during that race weekend. I thought was class. And I put Peko in the same category. Yeah, I do but, too. Yeah. But tip of the cap to Juan Mir, the Suzuki crew. I think that was an awesome result. He really pushed Peko. He did some great lap times. Um, he just couldn't keep the pace. I mean, ultimately, Peko just he didn't he didn't put a wheel wrong. He grinded up say, those laps and just kept running those thirty nines and so fast. I yep. mean, it was just unreal. And you're like, is the tire ever going to give out? It's like you know what? When you're riding the way he's riding. The tire might have started to wear the way he rode it the first half of the race, and then he changed his riding style a little bit and made it work and still kept those lap times consistent. Yep. And that's the thing that's so impressive. But this weekend, Jason, you know, as we can kind of maybe we'll go class by class looking forward. Um, would you bet against um, – well, you know what? I don't even want to ask you this question because you're going to jinx it. But mm-hmm. Peko's looking pretty good, I think, this weekend, even at Valencia – Marquez, I think a lot of people thought if Mark comes back, just just give him the win. But I think the Ducati's going to surprise some people. I also think that Juan Mir is, is riding, even though it's a little late in the season, with a kind of revived sense of himself. And it's going to be a really good race weekend. I it's going to be great. Um, I was, I, I think we were both kind of hoping we were going to be back there for this I last know, race. I know, dude. Um, I know. So, but that's fine. I mean, it's good to be home as well. And even while I'm sitting here talking to you, I'm just looking up the weather just to kind of see. Ah, I was doing the same thing. What it's what it's going to be um, when we obviously this next weekend. So it looks like maybe a little rain Saturday, um, yeah. but everything looks. But they got rain Monday, so it could still. Who knows what's going to happen over the course of the weekend? Sunday, mostly sunny, 68 degrees. That that'll be pretty good. That'll so it kind of depends on how much work you're going to get done on Friday. Correct. Yep. Yep. So those who, yeah, if, if it's, if it's looking all day, but, yep. um, anyway, so that should be, I'm excited about this, this, this weekend in particular, cause we have two races, but let's move on Jay to moto two, because I thought moto two, there's some other great talking points, obviously hey, man. In this one world championship ride here. Go oh ahead. If you want to do the results, let me do it. it. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Remy, Remy Garner ends up beating his teammate who he's battling in the championship. Raul Fernandez, the rookie sensation. He ends up beating him by three seconds, but that is not the story of this race. Sam Lowe's, who had a great ride, a bad start, and he just was grinding away. He ends up 3.8 seconds behind in third spot. And then Aaron Kinnett <laughs> ends up beating Cameron Bobier by half a thousandth well, of a second to the line for fourth. It, it, it for, had, to so a, Aaron, had to be a draft across the line, you got to think. Just it, it was because yeah. if you if you I was looking at the scoring pylon. And I, coming out of in that last sector, at some point when they tripped one of the one of the um, signal things, Cameron was ahead of Kinnett, and then Kinnett ended up pipping him at the line. Got so it, Cameron Bobier ends up getting his best non-American result, fifth, but tying his best moto to. But more importantly, I guess it's, I don't know if it's more importantly, but importantly, Cameron Bobier gets credited with the fastest lap of the race, and yeah, that's cool. that's a record that goes in the book. Then it's Vietti, Navarro, Betzeki. Uh, Augusto Fernandez in ninth place, Marcel Schroeder in 10th place, which was actually a good ride for him the way he's been going this year. DG Antonio, Gartho, uh, Manzi, and Marco Ramirez ahead of Bo Ben Schneider, our last scoring position. My boy, uh, Aguru, Agura, yeah. ends up crashing out, which was pretty shocking. But Xavi Vierge, who's going to World Superbike, ends up not fishing, finishing, Baldessari not finishing. But Jason, 
let's talk about the Remy Garner Raul Fernandez race because just like most of us thought, initially Fernandez, who's on a soft rear Dunlop, he gets out to the lead. Then what happens? Yeah, but it really didn't matter, did it? It wasn't like he pulled way away. Like he had a second lead on Fernandez, and Gardner just kind of bided his time. The, the real but, thing, but, you but don't look you at, think that that's the championship ride? The fact that he's on the hard compound, yeah, didn't want to and, make, he, and he keeps Fernandez within two and a half, two point two seconds of him. I, I thought was that, like I think the biggest turning point that you can really tell, Greg, when you really look at things. But Zeki was on the same tire as Fernandez, and you could see what happened to Bezeki. He he literally just fell down through the order so hard at the end. Because if you remember, those three guys were out in front. Top three guys were you know Fernandez, Gardner, and Bezeki for the longest time. And then, man, when that tire started to go off, it just kind of shows you the talent of Fernandez, how he was able to still keep pushing. And it wasn't really until the final two or three laps where he just couldn't go with Gardner anymore. You could see the thing moving a lot coming off the last corner. Gardner just makes a great decision here. I mean, he makes a great decision, goes into the race, and this is kind of when you depend on crew and depend on some people. Fernandez obviously felt like he wanted to take a shot at, you know, he's what was he down, 18 points down? So he, he wanted to take a chance. And in a way, it kind of come back and bite you because I was always under the belief that if the guy I have to, I want to be on the, I want to be on the exact same step as the guy that I have to beat because – I feel like then it's me against him and I got to outride him. Now, unless there was something truly, truly telling um, about him not being able to ride the harder tire, um, that's the question. Because it wasn't like, Greg, it wasn't like Gardner was a lot slower on that on the harder tire than than Fernandez was on the softer, right? It was, I mean, there wasn't like this huge discrepancy. Yeah, but Fernandez said clearly they had done 24 laps on the soft tire in practice yep. and his fastest lap was like the three or four laps to the end of that, uh, of okay. using that. Uh, there's some heat that. cycles. Yeah. 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 So yep. they had data that said that this tire would work. Now the difference is it was warmer, but in the States, when you look at Dunlop, which again, people don't realize, I think a lot of people don't realize that the Dunlop that they use in MotoGP is not the Dunlop that's owned by Sumitomo rubber that's the Dunlop associated with Buffalo, New York. Yep. They are not, yep. they're two different companies. They just share a name. So they split some years ago and they've gone a different direction. So I believe Dunlop's actually owned by a French tire company now. Um, but my point is, is that in the States, when it gets warmer, generally the softer tire works better. But in this particular case, Fernandez was a little baffled as to why the performance dropped so much. And most people are pointing the finger at the heat. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, either it way, it got warmer that day, didn't it? It did. I mean, it got all the weekend, those guys were wearing jackets. The crowd was yeah. in was in jackets and and that kind of thing. So, well, yeah. there's a reason why they moved the MotoGP race to the middle. So normally it's Moto Three, Moto Two, Moto GP, but in this weekend it was Moto Three, Moto GP, then yep. Moto Two, and the reason for that was because right around the that three o'clock mark, uh, the the temperature was dropping dramatically and the wind was picking up, and so. They felt that they would give MotoGP the optimal conditions, and it turned out that that particular day, it didn't happen. And so the day just kind of kept getting warmer, and it didn't have the big drop-off and all that kind of stuff for the Moto2 race, which was the last race. But nonetheless, I I think that both of those guys had championship rides. I mean, what yeah, Fernandez no showed question. he could do on the front end of that motorcycle because – and again, you know, Aki Ayo, who's the team owner of that, has basically said it to us many times – that Garner is a rear-end driving racer and that Fernandez is a front-end 
driving racer. And that's why he was able to stay with him for so long because that rear tire was garbage. Yeah. But, you know, on the Cameron Bobier front, Cameron Bobier, a great result for him. Cannot wait to talk to him about it. He qualifies sixth. Who was he chasing around in qualifying? He was he was behind either Raul Fernandez or or Remy. I can't remember. I, I think it was remember. Remy. I think he was behind Remy. Maybe it was one. Of, it was somebody who was who was on the front row, and Cameron was chasing them and qualifying and stayed with them for four or no, five laps. Cameron stayed with it was it was it was Remy right at the end. It was Remy. Yeah, yeah. It was yeah. Remy at the end. He was chasing so, Remy. So, so that helped Cameron get on row number two, and Cameron yep. gets off to a good start. Was up to fourth early. Really set a good p- pace. I think we didn't see it, but I'm pretty sure that when Sam Lowe's came through and had, um, oh, who was between him? Who was in Kinnett. third early on? It was Kenneth no, no, no. Betzeki. No, it was Betzeki. When, when, when Betzeki was in between those two, I think Cameron made a mistake because there was one lap. I agree. They were you, right yes. there. And the next thing you know, Cameron, and then he broke. And he because broke. they had broke Kinnett at one point, too. They had broke Kinnett. And then then when that happened, Kinnett went with Cam and Exactly. And Cam couldn't go with Sam. And I I think that that's that mistake is what set it up. I think that if Cam didn't make the mistake, there was a really good possibility, just from the history we know of Bobier, that he ends up getting stronger at the end. I mean, dude, the fastest lap of the race he set was deep into the the way through the race, right? Five laps to go or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, It was late. It was late. So we'll see how he goes at Valencia. I know he's pretty pumped, you know, in, in, in texting with him today about it and stuff and, and that he was, uh, you know, really happy to, to do it. He's been very focused, Jason. I mean, I have not seen him on, on Xbox like we normally do during the Moto America, you know, year. And, um, I know his, uh, his fiance has been in town and all that kind of stuff. So he said to me, you know, next week after the race is over, I'll be by myself in Spain for a week waiting for our last test before I come back to the States. So he's gonna he's gonna get on. We're gonna play a little Xbox. Yeah. But more importantly, he's gonna do an interview with me uh, for the podcast. The podcast, and, great. I mean, maybe we could do it with him too, Jay. If you're, you yeah, know, we'll love talk, it. We'll, yep. we'll talk about that later because I'd love to have the two of you actually wrapping out more so than me. Yeah, no, but, it, um, it's great. I mean, just the stuff that that you know, he's made a jump. Like we've seen him make this jump. Um, you know, the race at Coda was probably just the thing he needed. Being home, seeing some fans, didn't have the greatest Mazanos. We saw him fall out um early no, in that he, race but second trip right to to, yep. to this circuit and yep. better result better result and so now it's just a matter of him you know he's just got to kind of put some things together so greg <clears throat> in moto three um really great race um it really watching this race still makes me ask a lot of questions uh the biggest one is that i just don't know what they can do to make racing safer i i don't know I wouldn't want them to ruin it. It's just so good to watch. I really do enjoy it. But now you do kind of hold your breath a little bit watching these races just because of the year that we've had. A lot of ducking and diving. The draft played a huge role here. But what can you say? Pedro Acosta goes on and wins the championship over Andrea Migno, Antonelli, Alcoba, Guevara, Sasaki, Fanati. Artigas ends up eighth after being very much up in the hunt early. Suzuki, Philip Salich ends up tenth. Fernandez, Tatai. Holgado, Kelsic, Sura ended up the top 15. Now, there's a lot of things that you and I can go on about in this race. Um, I think first off, first and foremost, before we really talk about some of the stuff that I know we're going to get into, you've, you've got to tip your hat to this kid. Um, comes in in his rookie season. The praise that he had from everybody at the beginning of the year, the kid won from pit lane, then backed it up three more times very early in the season. He had a little bit of that little kind of middle of the season run where some of the results weren't the greatest mm-hmm. and allowed a guy like um, Fagia to get 
who was at 90 points back at one point. Um, it really says a lot about Fazia as well, uh, that he was able to fight back the way he did. But when you start looking at somebody like Pedro Acosta, you just hope, you just hope that the success that he's had this year will just kind of blend himself moving forward uh, into Moto2 next year um, and, and, and so on. But it, it was a hell of a ride that he put in. Do you think that it's difficult to judge Moto3 to Moto2 or worse going from Moto2 to MotoGP at this point in terms of I think Moto3 to Moto2. Now, I agree with you. Yeah, I agree with you. So you know? that's why I'm very interested to see if the young Acosta, I mean, he has a very good attitude. He's he's well-spoken already. He's, he seems mature beyond his years, but he's still a kid. He still has a lot of fun, which is really critical. And moving into Moto2 next year, it's going to be an interesting but, jump to see what he does. He's a taller kid, so part of me thinks he's going to have you know a little bit better time on a Moto2 bike. Yeah, there's some, there's some things, and there's guys that you can use as examples, Casey Stoner being one of them. He said he wasn't that good in the... Smaller classes. Uh, Quattararo, your champion from Quattro, this year. Yep, he, yep. I wouldn't say was uh, was a Moto2. He was a struggle. Like We all scratched our heads. How does he get in this ride? So there are guys that you can use and you can see that maybe weren't the greatest uh, in some of the smaller bike classes. And Greg, what you really got to put that to, personnel. Um, we mm. don't hear as much about the personnel in these Moto2 teams unless you're on the main teams. You know, like you... You look at the the uh, Ike Iho team with, with in Moto Two, actually per Pontrell's Moto Two team, I guess it is, isn't it? Ike Iho's uh, Moto Three, I believe. But the thing is, is that you you look at the people he's got there. Uh, Mark VDS has some incredibly smart, smart engineers involved there. Um, so in Moto GP, though, it's just like another level: more personnel, more people, more more things around you that can help you understand a motorcycle better. Um, mm-hmm. and, and electronics technology, blah, blah, blah. It's just a lot greater in MotoGP than anything else. So, all right, Jay, we got to yeah. talk about it now. We, we really do. So Acosta is in a fierce championship battle, I guess, you know, with Dennis Foggia, Foggia comes in, he's on a roll. He's gobbling points up from Acosta. Those two find themselves in the front of this race in the mix is Darren Bender. Yep. And then the incident happens. Describe the incident as you saw it happen, Jason, for those that might not have seen it, because we know a lot of you out there, for some reason, don't watch Moto3, maybe due to time, and watch MotoGP. But so so describe it, Jason, what happened between Acosta, Foggia, I think Sergio Garcia was in that. Garcia's in there. You got to look yeah, at it, though, Greg. There's, Darren there's, you know, when you look at the top nine finishers at 3.4 seconds, and it was closer than that, but because of the little shakeup we had on the last lap, the, the the pressure really was was on Acosta. Fagia has shown that to fight back into this championship, the rides he's put in to get to where he got are incredible. Um, and I'm going to tell you that, that the last three, four rounds for him to fight back from 90-point deficit um, to really try to get this thing to go to the final round in Valencia, Fagia has just done an incredible job. Now, when you look at this, his teammate Artigas was up there uh, any more than, than Masia was up there for a while with Acosta. Both mm-hmm. those te- guys on, on the same team as the two title contenders, they were both, I wouldn't say they were helping, but they were definitely in that fight as well, trying to steal points away from, from one guy or the other. When you look at where Bender was, Bender was up in that front three the whole race, and this is my perspective. So tell me if you feel different or, 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 or right about this, but 
he was in there pretty much the whole time. And he got clipped by Masia when Masia crashed and got shuffled back to Bender. And he's a kid that, like, when you look at him, it's hard for him to pass down the straightaways because he's a lot bigger guy. And I uh, just didn't have the speed. So he's got to kind of work his way around people, let's just say, uh, or through them sometimes, I guess. But the, <laughs> the thing is, is that when you look at this, this finish, um, when we go into the last lap, Acosta goes up under, you know, as uh, Faja goes up underneath Acosta going into one, Acosta kind of turns it back underneath him. But when they go into this really slow right-hand turn three where the incident happened, Acosta kind of shoves it up the inside of Faggia to where Faggia can't turn down. And what de- generally happens there, what are these bikes known for? Corner speed. Corner speed. So, so when you look at that, um, when you look at the corner speeds that these guys carry, even through a slow corner like that, that has been negated now because Acosta's gone and shoved it up underneath Faggia. So now Acosta doesn't want to run wide. So he's going to be like slowing down more. Faggia has got a guy up underneath him. So he's got his bike stood up, which is going to allow him to even slow down a little bit more. Well, Bender decides he's going to go up underneath Garcia and didn't calculate things as maybe as good as he could have, but he kind of clouts into the side of Faggia. Uh, that ends up taking down Garcia as well. Um, when I listened to Simon Crafar talk about this race five minutes after the checkered flag flew, they were following Acosta around on his victory lap and it came across the screen that Bender had been disqualified. And I, 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 I was, I was thinking to myself, where has that precedent been set? Um, you're going to disqualify a guy for hitting somebody else. Like think about how much contact was made in that race between riders and bikes and all that. Yeah, between so many people. I mean, you know? and, and Masia clipped the back of, of um, Bender. Up Bender. Uh, and I didn't see where he ended up, but you know, they didn't disqualify Masia. And you sit there and you think to yourself, what if, what if it wasn't Faggio that he hit? What if it was just Garcia that he hit? Would he have been disqualified or would he have got a five place, you know, penalty of some sort, right? So the problem that you have with all this is that I know Bender's not going in there to try to be malicious. The last thing he wants to do, the last thing he wants to do is touch a title contender. So it's a mistake is what it is. There was no malicious intent there. Simon Cray for so much said that exact thing. He didn't feel like there was anything. He felt bad for Bender. He felt bad for Faggia. Um, the way things go after that and how they get handled, you got to understand that as riders in a paddock, we're all going to have our opinions of the guys that we're racing against privately, right? Mm-hmm. Um, privately, you're going to have your, your opinions of guys. There's going to be guys that you feel comfortable riding around, guys that you don't feel comfortable riding around. I think most people don't feel great riding around Bender because he does have a bit of a past. That said, I don't really remember too much this year, Greg, and please correct me if I'm wrong, of anything that the guy's really done that's uh, been bad. No, um, he got – he got. I just can't remember, and I know he it was. It was in – no, remember, it was in Winter Circle because me- remember he swore on air and he called like a dude a puss and he said the F word, and that was, that was one of those deals where he was third and got relegated to fourth, one of those situations okay. yeah. because – whatever something happened i don't know if it was green paint or something like that but it hasn't been as much this year as okay. more of his him putting it on the deck i think on his own so yeah yeah and i know in the past he's had a couple of those where he has you know yeah, he has a reputation no doubt yeah 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 so but the thing is is that the the problem i have with all of it is just the the there's really no real reason the inconsistency of race control the idea that 
And I know, again, we're talking Moto3 and we're talking everybody's a little sensitive. Um, the problem is, is that disqualification to me is, is insane. Like, you cannot disqualify the guy from the race. Granted, he took the guy out that was running for the championship. But if you are in the seat of a racer and you see everything that's going on there um, and, and the mistake that was made, I get it. He made a mistake. But you can't disqualify a guy for that. And yeah. then afterwards... Uh, you see him go down to the garage, which obviously people aren't going to be happy with. Um, he's 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 taken the time to get go down to see Fajia, and he's you know he's politely well not politely, but he's directly being told to kind of f off. And that's when, as a for me, you got to remember there's emotions running high and this and that. But if I was Bender, I would have just told all those guys to go screw themselves, anyways. Because yeah, because I mean Bender did the the he did the thing that he should have done. Let's keep in mind. Fazio was 90 points down at one point in the season. Uh, Bender didn't have anything to do with that. So maybe they need to look back and see why were they down 90 points? I'd have to go back and look at those races at the beginning of the year and understand. I, I remember Fazio flicking it down the road a couple times. So mm-hmm. you got to go back and you go at one, that one single race did not lose Dennis Fazio the championship. The fact that Bender clipped him at that one race is not the reason why Dennis Fazio lost the championship. He was 90 points down at one point this season. So when you're giving up 90 points somehow, some way, you kind of go, you're the bit of the underdog coming in, even though you're on a great run. Acosta was running right with you. Uh, there was no guarantee that you were going to win the race, and there's no guarantee that you were going to make it around that lap anyways, Greg. Who knows if Fazio would have crashed on his own. That You can't determine that stuff, okay? So it's just, I think, I don't even know Darren Bender. Don't know him. But when I look at it and I think, what a joke that they take the time to disqualify the guy. Like, humorous with a five-spot penalty or something like that. But to disqualify him in less than five minutes after the after the incident had happened, um, I thought was just a bit much. I agree. And the other question I have is, the FIM is supposed to be in charge of that. The FIM is not Dorna. So the FIM should not have a dog in the fight in terms of anything that has anything to do with the championship. The fact that Foggia was in contention to keep the championship alive, not win the championship in that instance at all, but keep the championship alive should not have factored into anything. And what it seems like, it's like, how dare you take out a, a guy who's been on a run, a guy how who's dare you champion- ruin our championship. Exactly. And that's yeah. kind of, that's where it's like, that's oh, wait what, a second, yeah. you haven't set a precedent. You and I talked off uh, offline about this, and you brought up a really good point. It's not like there's a three strikes and you're out system or something in place that is quantifiable that we know is coming. And Darren Bender, it's your third strike. You're disqualified. It's like, hey, to me, that crash was the pure definition of a racing incident. There were plenty of passes up the inside that were clean that whole race. All of a sudden... Acosta stuffs Foggia. Foggia, like you're saying, has to lift. By the way, does the right thing, right? Doesn't yep. lean on Acosta because if he leaned on Acosta, Jason, and then they both crashed out, get Acosta's the one all of a sudden who's got the penalty, right? Like that's the yeah. way it's been all year long, that bullshit. So now all of a sudden you're looking at, you know, an incident where Bender gets in there. He's trying to make a pass in the only Bender place that he can he make a pass. A he wants to of win course. a race and he just got punted himself kind of back and – and he's fought his way all the way back up to the front. He wants to win a race. And so, so race correction, goes, what are you goes, telling us? If he goes under, yeah, exactly. If he goes underneath Garcia there, um, if he goes, what about, and if Acosta would have taken out Faja, and let's say Acosta could have got up and kept going, 
right? And yeah. scored five points or whatever it is. What were they going to do? They're going to they're going to disqualify Acosta, right? Um, again, you kind of go back to: Is this because Binders had previous incidents, even though it hasn't happened lately? But you would think that if that was the case, that Dorna or whoever's in charge would have to come out and say that Binders on some sort of um, he's on some sort of uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking probation that if something happens here, if something happens there. But man, Darren Binder wants to win a race. That's that's the bottom line. He wants to put himself in to win a race, and if you're going to disqualify a guy for that, I just think it's it's just it's just too much, man. I just cannot stand the fact that we've got to talk about race direction every single weekend, and yeah. really, it spoiled it spoiled a good race. Uh, Acosta is the deserving champion. I felt bad for Fazia. Don't get me wrong; it's a horrible position to be in. Yes. Um, but it's a Moto Three. We, I mean, we talked about it last week. Yeah. It's like anything can happen, anything and it did. And and for people to turn around and say, Darren Binder, you single-handedly ruined this championship. You know what I mean? And for the team to turn around, and tell him to f off, and all that stuff, I think is what I think it's an overcorrection that, in my view, is completely ridiculous. And people have taken it a step further, Jason, and said Darren Binder doesn't deserve to go to the class. Now there's this talk. Some of the riders talking about a super license. How you have to qual- It's really convenient for people in MotoGP. Yeah. Who you know well, who who are sitting there now to say, well. Uh, other people really need to be better qualified to come up here and race with us. It's like, wait a second. Do, do you, you don't know that Darren Binder is going to take that same attitude and be that desperate with the, the size he is going into MotoGP. And, and so why are you going to, you know, basically... Mark, Mark has ever made it to MotoGP. I, he took a few people out in Moto3 and Moto2 in his life. Oh, you think so? And, yeah. and, you know, when you look at it, it's like... It, here, I, I used the analogy earlier that if if you get a group of your buddies... And you go out to a go-kart track and you're riding YSR 50s or Ovalis or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Ovalis are pretty sophisticated machinery now. They're pretty, they're a lot, lot further along. But even if you go to a dirt track and you ride XR 100s with your friends, right? You, you have a bit of a bash session. You can have a little bit of fun because the bikes are smaller. They're less intimidating. More things can happen. But then if you go jump onto a big bike, a thousand somewhere else, it, it's not the same philosophies that follow that path of I could be as aggressive on this thousand and just run into people and you're on a bigger scale. You know what I mean, Greg? Yeah. So, 100%. so you know, if you took all of our superbike riders right now, all of our superbike riders in Motor America and you put them all on uh, junior cup bikes, they are going to go out there and they're going to be running into each other, having a blast, doing their thing that, you know, it's just going to be the way it is. And it, especially if it's, you know, at a go-kart track or even a big track, you know, the amount mm-hmm. of bike control that our superbike guys have, uh, it's and you're gonna have a lot closer field, right? You're gonna have a lot of guys that aren't in the, in the mix now uh, on superbikes. If you put them all on junior cup bikes, they're gonna be closer. So because there's because there's only so much you can do. There's only so much you right? can do. That's why there's we have only such so close much competition can... to already start to break. And, and look again, this is that inner paddock rider talk that the, obviously Bender has a reputation that people don't like uh, uh, through the through. Moto2, MotoGP, whatever the case is. But guys like Bastianini and some of those guys have raced against Bender in Moto3. You know, like you're going to mm-hmm. see like the Giantonio. He's probably raced against. There's, there's going to be guys that have raced with him in, in Moto3. So, I mean, I wouldn't, I, I would think that Pecco probably raced against him. Bender's been in Moto3 for what, four years? Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah. Pecco did one year in Moto2 or did yeah. he do two? I can't remember. Anyways, but yeah, it's just, it's, uh, 
Yeah, just you just kind of get tired of the race control thing. And and by the way, Jay, you know, and this somebody brought up this point, and I totally agree with them. If this was under the new rules, this eighteen-year-old rule, we don't see Pe- we don't see Pedro Acosta for two years. From yeah, now. yeah, yeah. And yeah. tell me that this sixteen-year-old did anything wrong to put anybody in danger? No, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like I'm not. I'm just not. I'm not sold on this eighteen-year-old thing. I don't think it's well. It's great, but. No, yeah, the eighteen-year-old thing is is you know, Greg. It is what it is. I mean, it is right now. Baz, right now, Baz, with Baz what, is doubling down on it though, pretty hard on Twitter. That's who on is? Instagram. Loris Baz. Oh, is he? I didn't see yeah, it. Yeah, if you go look at some of his tweets, it's pretty funny. Yeah. yeah. No, and I, I, I'm, I'm along the line of what Baz thinks. I'm on the lo- along the line of what, um, of what even uh, Simon Crafer said. I mean, that was the whole point of me, you know, tweeting out what I did to him. Because I thought that what he said was right on point. You know, as a writer, yeah. you're trying to win a race, Greg. I mean, you you do your best to stay off the the guys. You know, you, uh, the respectful. You try to stay away from guys that are running for the championship. But I just I just thought somewhere somehow you've got to keep in mind the guy was 90 points back. That one race at Portimao did not cost Foggia the championship. Yeah, and I think that's the perspective without question. So moving into you know, the race is coming up or the race coming up this weekend. Moto2 is what's on the line. Remy Garner, the one thing we didn't point out was just how beat up he was at the end of the race. I mean, he had a huge crash on Friday. He could barely breathe. I was concerned that he might have a punctured lung or something, yeah. but that's because I've had one. And I mean, he was he was having a hard time catching his breath all those minutes after the race and talking to Simon. And and that just shows you that the, the grit, the determination, the tenacity of the toughness of Remy Garner. And I don't think that can be overstated. And, you know, having one week to recover isn't going to be that much of a help with how bad he looks hurt. So he's going to go in there, I think. That was a big crash he had on Friday. Oh, my God. With, yeah. I think, Marco Ramirez. Uh, Marco Ramirez. That's a big one. And I just thought that Remy, like, he's impressed me a lot this year anyways. Mm-hmm. He super impressed me at, at – uh, at this last round, you know, he fell off at Coda in a position where finishing second there uh, wouldn't have hurt him, but he was still chasing a win. He had a little bit of a lackluster Mizano, if you remember right, and got the ride through penalty or that, you know, he had some things work his way there at Mizano with Fernandez crashing. And then he got that penalty um, for taking out Chantra, I believe it was Greg. Mm-hmm. So he's managed those little bit of rough waters. And I thought, for him to keep Fernandez on a very short lease in the first half of that race and then show the dominance that he had underneath him at the end and to win that race uh, was really impressive. Now, I'll tell you this. There's there's probably a litany of tracks that he'd rather go to than Valencia to try and win this championship because it's a little boring there. And mm-hmm. the lap times are a little bit uh, shorter than some of the other tracks that we go to. I think that there'll be more people in the hunt. Uh, there's a lot of Spanish guys that are going to be trying to go for home glory there. So when yeah. you start to look at things, Acosta, you know, 23 points back, Acosta's got to win at all costs. And if if Fernandez, if I said Acosta, Fernandez. Acosta, but yeah, Fernandez. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Fernandez has to win at all costs. And I think that when you look at it, uh, G-Dub, if he's leading – Gardner's got to do everything he can to just not get shuffled back far. And he's got to find that little pocket, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. He's got to find that little pocket that he can be in where he can ride his own race, do his own thing, not take too many big risks. Um, but he would be a very deserving world champion, no question. All right, Jay, let's shift over to our MotoGP fantasy because let's we're down. Let's skip right through this. No, we're going to do it because 
you know, I, I, th- there's some good competition going on. Yeah, there is. We're we're involved. I mean, I'm involved in several leagues. I'm happy to say that the Let's Go League. I wrapped that up. I think I wrapped it up. I mean, barring any, yeah, any stuff, I yeah, slipped. Yeah. I slipped to tenth in the Grace Garage Pod with Jason Pridmore uh, team pool that we have going on. Two hundred and fifty-one people participated in our league this year. A tip of the cap to everyone who participated. Thank you so much. We have yeah. one round left. Daytona 85 is leading by a pretty healthy margin at this point. I mean, it's somewhere in the neighborhood of at? like, I think he's 45 points ahead of Craigers. I know that um, our boy AC, Robin Hood Racing, is mm, 63 points back trying to make a big push. Now, I myself am the to take, only... It's time to take big chances, and you got a, you got a turbo, don't you? I have it. I'm the only one in the top 10 How with a turbo. How far back are you? Well, in terms of the the actual lead itself, I am like 80 points back, something like that. So it's it's not doable that I can win and I don't want to win because I want to see, you know, one of the one of the front runners Daytona 85. I think I think that would be a second win for Daytona 85, right? If I'm not mistaken. Did he win it last or, year? I can't remember, you know, but I know we've we've given away a couple of rye helmets I and am you're going gonna... to dial him up and get some tips for next year cuz I sucked this year well what what's really interesting is if you look at the united states and there's 3,814 people only in the united states playing i mean i'm 31st in the rankings daytona 85 is second in the united states now it's it's a pretty significant margin 43 ish 43 and a half points behind four horsemen but nonetheless we have daytona 85 and craigers is sixth overall and robin hood is ninth overall in the united states that that shows that the people that are in our pool are pretty serious. Now, yep. let's get down to brass tacks here, Jay, because what's really going on is in the Chuckwalla MotoGP fantasy. I'm P2 behind Beach Moto right now. Are you really? Yeah, but I, myself and I think it's Carreras Corsa Racing are the only people in that group. Oh, no, Kevlar. He's got one left. So we there's three of us in the oh, top Kev's, ten. Kev's got a turbo left. He's got a turbo left uh, as well. Yeah, but he's he's like 40 something points behind me, too, or 50 points behind me. So I'm not really concerned about him. But I'm within striking distance, but it seems like a very far reach. So, yep. you know, in, in that in that sense, I've got to kind of take a look. At, you know, it's it's you can only make one change. And my problem is I wanted to get rid of Jorge Martin, but I had Marquez last week. So I had to trade out Marquez for someone, and I'm glad I did. I put Juan Mir back on my team, but I left him silver, left Quadraro gold and Bagnaya gold, and obviously Quadraro only got us like four points. This but, is where, like, if you're within shouting distance, mm-hmm. you've got to kind of study who the other guys have. Yeah. And you got to kind of see who can you swap out. Because you got to think that a lot of the teams look alike. Oh, like, they do. Yes, I looked they at do. Chuck's the other day. Chuck had Bastianini on there, and I'm like, that's, I know. that's great. Like, he... I got smoked this year. Uh, I did send out that email. Did you see the email? I was hoping that the four of you guys had learned your lesson because I did win last week, even with. I, I did, but I didn't bother reading yours because I didn't want. I didn't want to hear it. That hurts. I did. That hurts. I won. I can't. I don't even know how you won. You turbo quart and quart got you what eight total points or because. Yeah, I'm <laughs> telling you, man. I am the cooler. If you need me to just, I can do a little. You know, there's guys that you think, Greg, that <laughs> that you need me to ambush. It's it'll be yeah. easy. I can do it for you. By the way, I do have to say this, 60,217 people worldwide participated in the MotoGP official league and only 3,800 of those in the U.S. But with 60,217, I'm ranked 290th in the world. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. Yeah, well, you would be, wouldn't you? Yeah, Yeah. that's great. 
especially after some of the fantasies that I've had in years past. You've been a bit laughable, and I've I've taken that. I have fully 100% taken that now for you. That's I am horrendous. Yeah, but we will definitely have a committee meeting to decide what we're going to do for Supercross, because we're going to do a fantasy again for Supercross this year, and I'm sure that Arai will kick in another helmet because they've been great to us. But we've got to decide which one we're going to do because there's benefits to the one that's a little bit more thinky, you know what I mean? But if you don't put a team in, you're screwed. Or the team, if you forget or you miss a week, you're yep. not penalized. I like the so, thinking part of it. I think it's I know. Fun. That's why we're gonna have to have yeah, uh, we're gonna have to have a sit-down powwow. We'll we'll hash out maybe seven, eight hours to really have a good conversation about it. Yep. Yeah, seven, eight hours. Yeah, we could do that. Yeah. He's on his phone, people. That's why I'm just well, busting his nuts. Yeah, but I I I know what's going on right now. I can I yeah. Really? Then what's next? We're off of fantasy. What are you doing next? I am going to talk about a preview. Will you put of your glasses Indo- on Indonesia. Why? I'm not squinting. <laughs> oh. It's not nice, yeah. Greg. It's not great. Go on a diet. Um, <laughs> I- <laughs> put glasses on. Indonesia is this week, folks. It is final it is. World Superbike. Man, we got World Superbike and we've got Valencia. It, Word. It's another Word. great weekend for me to be home. I'm thinking about going down to NHRA though, G Dub. I got to be honest. I, I'm. Is that Vegas? No, Vegas was last was Halloween weekend, which we blew. Hey. Cannot believe we've missed it. But I am thinking about going down there. I got to reach out to a couple people to see if I can go down. But anyways, mm. but we got Indonesia, Greg. It's World Superbike. Let's just talk about the title. What's going to happen? Give me your expert opinion. We got three races to go. The points gap is, what is it, Greg? Like 24? Yeah, 24 sounds I, right. I don't even remember. I, I should know. I should have pulled well, it up already. Sorry, I should have pulled it up. I'm pulling it up as we talk. Well, no, nor- normally I, yeah, so it's, it's no, it it's, it's 30 points. Is it it's 30? top rack. Got yeah, it. it's 531 to 501. Yep, yep. So there you go. 30 points, but we've got uh, 50. What's 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 the Super Bowl race pay? 12. 12. 12. So you got 62 so points 62 up for grabs. 62 points. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, it's. I don't. I mean, look, top, top rack has, he's got a couple fingers on the trophy without question, but. Yeah. And, and, you know, all he's got to do is really just keep it close to Johnny at this point. You know what I mean? Like, well, Redding he finally talked about the championship, choice. didn't he? He finally talked about them. Yeah, about finally the talked about this it. Last, uh, this last round. And yeah, it's, uh, I mean, I mean, gosh, Greg, you can't really, you can't really talk about it without saying what just a hell of a year that Yamaha has had this year. They've won everything. They've literally won everything. So across the board, like I mean, Jason's talking about everything, meaning everything, motocross, motocross everything, motocross, GP, motocross. Yeah. I mean, just. It's been an incredible year for the, the the tuning forks, as they say. And I think that mm-hmm. for Top Rack, it's it's one of those things where I don't think he really feels pressure. He doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't screw up. I you do, you can't see him. It's it's great that it's a new track, so it's a really neutral racetrack for all these guys. I'm looking forward to watching it. I always love watching new tracks. I wasn't that impressed with the two that they showed already this year. Uh, I think it was was it Navarra and um, Most. The mm-hmm. Two tracks, one in Spain, one in Czech. I wasn't very impressed with those tracks. Um, I'm hoping that this one's going to be better, but uh, I just think Johnny's got it stacked against him right now. But how do you? I mean, you literally cannot. You can't not. If Johnny Ray ended up at yeah. the end of the day winning this championship by one point, would it surprise you and be like a total shocker kind of a thing? Oh my gosh! Let's just put it to you this way: I hope that doesn't happen because we're going to have to relive that France thing all over again. You know, and, and I just, I don't even want to get into it. So I'm just, I'm just saying like top rack right now seems composed, poised, 
fast, all, all that things. kind of stuff. Johnny's up against it, but you never put it past him. And you know what is you have four manufacturers in the top six in the world championship, Yamaha, Kawasaki, Ducati, one, two, three. It's been a very impressive year across the board for world Superbike. Yep. I don't think that we're seeing the passing of the torch. I don't think that top rack necessarily. I mean, he looks like he's got all the tools in the toolbox to do it, but I still think that the wet is still a little bit of a thing for him at this point. Well, not much, but I mean, I, I don't think we're going to see a top rack do the Johnny Ray thing for the next five or six years. I still think that things are going to get really tight at, at the top of world Superbike for the next couple seasons. Out of everybody in the paddock, Greg, who's got the most pressure on him? Hmm. That's an easy one, but, and you're going to go, yeah, that makes sense. Johnny Ray? The Cruz. Oh, yeah, 100%. Oh, this my is, God, this of course. Is, this is the time now where, man, <laughs> yeah. if you're a crew oh chief God. or you're a guy working on the bike, you're a mechanic. I won't even say crew chief because crew chiefs don't really touch the bike. Mechanics. You're the, you're the engine builder? Woo! The mechanics, <laughs> the engine builders. I mean, this is where those guys are really hard to talk to on these kind of weekends. Yeah. Um, and this is the only place that you give KRT the the little tiny bit of an advantage on. You're right? I mean, yeah. like – for Paul Denning's crew, man, he's got such great guys that work underneath that those garages um, for the Pata Yamaha team. I mean, they are tremendous people, individuals. But, I mean, Greg, there's, you know, when you look at the accident that happened to Top Rack at Portimao coming up over the top of the hill going down, uh, going towards the front straightaway, you know, Redding put it best. He's like, hey, don't blame the crew because it could have been from the times that Top Rack ran into guys. But that wasn't a normal accident. That's an accident where there was a failure of some sort, whether it be top rack or whether it be somebody left something loose, you will never, ever, ever know, right? Mm -hmm. So, but it's one of those things that can happen. So on both the KRT side of the garage um, for Johnny with his crew, his mechanics, and the same thing from the Pata boys, there is a lot of extra pressure that is going to be you know, kind of flung their way. So let's just hope that, you know, everything works out good for all those guys and, and we get some great racing in Indonesia. I, I'm going to be, I can hardly wait to watch it. Even if this thing comes down to the final race of the year, if, if Johnny Ray is able to close it within, you know, 24 points by the last race on Sunday, it'll mm -hmm. be pretty miraculous. I'm looking forward to a great race weekend I am too. across the board. It's going to be a lot of fun. You know, I, I can't wait to divot the couch even deeper. Yeah. That thing's <laughs> got to go through couches. Like what? Once every year two? what is it? You know, look ahead to the race weekend's calendar. That's all we got for you. <laughs> MotoGP, World Superbike. There's some FIM, you know, motocross in Italy. I think it might be their last one of the of the year as well. But we're getting down to it, people. Racing's getting ready to end, which means one thing. The holiday season is upon God, us. I can't even believe it. Oh, my gosh. I but mean, then, you know what, yeah. dude? I mean, it's two months. I think I, someone tweeted. I think it was uh, Cooper um, who tweeted like two months you know, like it's the seventh or something. Maybe it was today, the eighth. Supercross. Two months to the start of Supercross. Yeah, yeah, that's. I was actually thinking about it last night. I was laying there and I'm like, oh man, Supercross two weeks away or two months away. The so only thing Jay up. with Supercross is is that, you know, NBCSN their last day on air is going to be December 31st. So the question is, what happens to Supercross? And from the people that I've talked to, what they're the answer they're getting is it'll be on NBC properties. So we don't know. I mean, if you don't have Peacock, you might have to buy Peacock. 
in order yep. to see some of those races. It might be on USA Network. Like we really don't know at this point where Supercross is going to be. At least I haven't checked like supercross.com yeah, or whatever to yeah. see. But I know the TV crew that they, they're they're being told that it's on NBC property. So I think it's going to suss itself out as yep. we get a little bit closer to the season. And that's going to be something too because I do enjoy those Saturday those Saturday nights when it's cold outside. Oh my gosh, love it. Yeah. And then yeah, we got you know we got our fantasy with that and then to be honest with you Greg when you look at it like that once that really chimes in, I mean, for me, back in the day when I was racing still, I'd always go to Anaheim 1, always. And it just got me charged up because I knew Daytona was right around the corner. And the fact that we get to go back there this next year, I'm stoked. I mean, I'm really I, – I can't tell you last time I went there. It's got to be 10 years almost, I bet. I can't remember the last year I gave rides for the National Guard at Daytona. I don't remember when it was. Well – you and I talked about it in the off season last year, you yeah. know, that we should try to get a hold of someone down at the speedway and see if we could go commentate somehow. Yeah. Yeah. And now here we are, you know, a year later and, and we know we're getting to go and I'm pretty excited. Yeah, I'm about pretty it. excited. I'm excited about the whole Moto America thing and, you know, getting it kicked off there is I think is going to be good for Moto America in the sense that it's showing the world that, Hey, now we're, we've taken over this kind of iconic race. And I think that I think the thing that's going to be fun for you and I personally is in the next four to six to eight weeks, we'll start to even 10 weeks. We're going to start to find out a who's on the bikes that are going to be racing here. Mm -hmm. Guys that might wildcard Daytona and guys coming over from overseas that are going to be wildcarding Daytona because it is Daytona. And there's a lot of guys that want to race here. So I'm excited to see how that all plans out and plays out. It's going to be going to be a fun next uh, couple of months. Well, thanks everybody for joining our podcast. Jason, as always, you have the word on the way out. G-Dub, let's enjoy our race weekends this weekend. And everybody, thanks for listening. Talk to you next week. 